1: Welcome to Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Episode four hundred and twenty-five. We're recording Oof. on January fourteenth, twenty twenty-one. I haven't said the episode number in a while, so we kind of got kind yeah. of uh, got the shock of the new. I had onto
0: us lost track of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we're officially out of the. It's the new year. It's we're a fortnight from the new year. We've had you know multiple earth-shaking political events, so we <laughs> kind of shook off the new year. Uh, you know the new feels the new year Feels a lot like smell. the
0: old year, personally. I
1: was talking to my brother last night, and I told him it feels like the first two weeks of 2021 are just like an end credit sequence to 2020, <laughs> the movie of 2020, like the stinger where you find out Thanos is coming. Uh, it's kind of what 2021 <laughs> yeah. has been like. I think
0: so we far. had we had both joked, and I've just seen it in the water, you know, in social media, people saying it won't really feel like a new year until after the inauguration. And now I am in the place, I guess, sadly for my soul, of uh, maybe by the summer solstice, it'll feel like we're doing a different thing than we've been doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it might be the Paris Olympics in 2024. That's when that's the new year. It's oh. kind of what I'm thinking.
0: Right now. Oh, boy, I'm not prepared to onboard that just, yeah. You know. 2024 feels like it's a million years away right now. Yeah.
1: Well, and I tell you what, the the m- even more highly charged political environment uh, than than it was is, it, mm-hmm. is now infecting, influencing the world of books and reading. So we've got p- stories that cross over with what we talk about here, but uh, we'll get to some of that in a minute. Uh, let's take our first sponsor break first, though, before we do it. Um, we're gonna do follow up. I've got a little follow up. I don't think I put this on here from a couple of a listener email kinds of things. Mm. It's been a while, um, but I mentioned sometime in the fall about Amazon pricing for hardcovers that yes. the discounting has seems to have taken on a sea change, and then in the holiday season it seemed to go back to a more consistent discounting level. And last week I saw for the I think for the first time in my memory new. Front list titles from major publishers with zero discounts. Not even the 10% stuff we had talked that I, that raised mm-hmm. my eyebrows in the fall, but straight up nada. Now again, if you're a Reese's book club pick, if you're something that made a list, if you're a promised land, the triple A things in the atmosphere aren't, you know, they're getting discounted 30, 40%, if more. The next level is getting discounted 20, 25%, 15%. But then there's, as we know, most books, and they don't represent most sales, but most books are way below that level. And that way below are getting, you know, Simon & Schuster thrillers with $0 off from Amazon feels like, to me, a new thing under the sun. And a couple of people emailed me th- or emailed the podcast this week saying, just following up on your dis- discussion before, I'm seeing weird stuff in pricing hmm. where you're not seeing discounts like that. And was, this was, I think... Some knitting books someone mentioned. Someone mentioned a cookbook. Someone mentioned some some YA. There was a big YA title that we had a sponsor on the site last week um, with no discount, which is very, very unusual. So I'm not sure I have any new bad ideas to float as relates to that. Um, The only thing, you know, just to recap on my bad ideas. One is, for whatever reason, they don't want you to buy the ebook for, or the the physical book from them because of, you know, fulfillment problems or COVID or mail or whatever. They just don't, there's like this. All right, fine. If you're going to buy this, we're going to charge you through the nose, which means just straight retail price. Second one is it strategic. Is if you're looking at a 2099, 2099, I forget how much hardbacks mm-hmm. actually are. twenty eight ninety nine for this frontless hardcover. Wouldn't you rather get it for 1299 in the Kindle or 1495 as part of your Audible subscription? It starts to look a lot more attractive, If there's not much of a discount there.
0: Yeah, I think there's either some choice architecture stuff like that happening or as I I'm pretty sure that what I posited when we talked about this in the summer or the fall is that Amazon has realized that with everything else people are coming to rely on Amazon for during the pandemic. They don't have to don't have to. Because you're buying everything else, you might as well. It's easier just to buy that full-price hardcover than to go seek it out somewhere else. I or even to totally go possible. enter
1: in your credit card information at bookshop or something, right? Even to yeah, go yeah, somewhere exactly. else, like the, like, the transactional just, friction is still pretty mm-hmm. high. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one I thought was interesting to see there um, as, a, as a follow-up kind of a piece as well. Um, I'm not sure. There any of these other ones? I guess... Nothing else is really follow-up. Um, so the the book that I had mentioned was Money by Jacob Goldstein is the one that got me like, huh. And at the time, it was a 10% discount. Right now, it's a 20% discount. So it's hmm. come, it's still not, frankly, again, I'm not sure this is fair, but in the old days, any new hardcover you're seeing on Amazon was like 30 or 40%. That was just standard operating procedure. We're no longer in that world is that good for books? Is it good for books and reading? Are you super thrilled? I don't know. But boy, it's really, it's noticeable, right? It's noticeable. This other book I was Mm -hmm. looking at, while we're doing this, why not? Um, (laughs) Have you heard of this book, Pappy Land, the story of a family fine bourbon and things that last forever about um, the bourbon? Happy Van Winkle. Indeed, I have. You know the book? You've heard of the book? I've heard of the book, yes. Yeah. So I was looking at Maybe listening to it or buying it, the hardcover full street price twenty seven dollars. The Amazon discount right now is is only thirteen percent, and this is not. I mean, it's not you know New York Times bestseller, but there's eight hundred eighty five rankings, number one bestseller in a bu- culinary memoir and biography, kind of a subset. But it sounds like there are some books being moved here. In olden times, I would have expected more <laughs> of a discount for that book. I just would have. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, as you're out there buying books, seeing stuff, what's going on, um, let us know what you're seeing because you will find things that are more interesting. Or you're just going to be looking at different things than we do. The cookbook one really got my attention. Cookbooks are expensive. And in looking around, it looked to me you're still seeing more of a discount for this. Um, Mm. I was looking at Jubilee. Now, this is an older title. It's November 5th. 2019 Jubilee recipes from two centuries of African American cooking that I was looking at maybe buying and it's a 32% discount 35 to 23. I don't I don't follow the new hotness in cookbooks, so I didn't even really know what to search for in terms oh, of seeing yeah, what were the new things were.
0: I just looked, like as you were mentioning it, because um, my favorite pie cookbook, the book mm. on pie by Erin Jean McDowell, um, just came out in November and she has done a ton. She's very well known in online content from New York Times stuff and King Arthur baking and I think some other things. Um, so its list price is $35, but Amazon has it for twenty five seventeen, mm. which is a 28% discount. But yeah. I wish that I had looked at that like the two weeks before Christmas, because mm-hmm. um, I would think a book like that is popular going into the holidays. Yeah, yep, yep, yep.
1: Um, One book that um, I put on hold at my library after looking at the price, frankly, um, it's kind of a hot release, uh, debut fiction, The Profits by Robert Jones Jr., which came out Mm. last week. List price, $27, uh, only 11% discount. The full price on Audible, if you're not a subscriber, 25 (sighs) bucks. Twenty-five bucks credit per credit, but that's pretty on, spicy. on Apple for the audiobook, fourteen ninety-nine. Weird times. It's just all this <laughs> stuff is changing. Um, <laughs> hard to keep track of of what to do. All right, so that's was other feedback I was gonna get. I think I guess that was it. That was the only one that was relevant to to talk about on the show. News of the week. I guess the the news this week that broke out. Um, outside of the world of books and publish, uh, just the world of books and reading broke out into a popular story. It was on the front page of CNN briefly um, that Josh Hawley's book that Simon & Schuster was um, going to release. They decided not to because of treason, maybe, I guess, (laughs) Uh, something like that, you know? Um, If
0: ever there were a reason to finally decide you have some responsibility.
1: Yeah, and... um, (laughs) Amanda and I were talking. We were talking about some other stuff yesterday about how it looked like the left wing internet finally caught up to our position, which is no someone not wanting to publish your book is not a violation of the First Amendment. Which Mm -hmm. all I can say is, duh. But welcome to the club. Welcome. I'm not sure what else to say about it at this point. For the long time listener of the show, will know our position, which is you have you don't have a right to get your book published because no one does. Until the government says you cannot hand scrawl your ideas on a piece of paper and and um, distribute it for free, you know I'm I'm being a little bit um, um, exaggerated, uh, uh, hyperbolic there, but not really. Yeah, you don't have a right for you don't you don't. The First Amendment does not guarantee you the right with a publisher to enter into a private business agreement to disseminate Mm -hmm. your ideas. Um, But I think the overton window for our acceptance of what a publisher and a bookstore and we'll get to this in a minute can and should be doing in the name of the body politic the safe vouchsafing the republic apparently this is the stakes we're talking about right now has moved from you really have to be a real monster to get your book pulled to Boy, we really don't want to. Do you see am getting at Rebecca? Like, do yeah. we feel like the line has moved from I, towards? I don't know. More people are more willing to entertain. We don't want to do this right now. I
0: think that this action by Simon and Schuster goes hand in hand with Twitter and Facebook yes. and you know Amazon Web Services and all of the other businesses last week that decided finally at the very last possible minute mm-hmm. to deplatform the president and to really start monitoring the kinds of speech and the damage that the kinds of speech they might allow on their platforms so that they I think there's a level of responsibility that is finally being acknowledged. Right. I think and that you know previous in previous moments like this, when there have been calls for publishers to cancel books, they've said something like, like it's our mission. This is a direct quote from the statement about Josh Hawley's book from Simon & Schuster. As a publisher, it will always be our mission to amplify a variety of voices and viewpoints. In the past, that sentence has been followed by, so we are continuing (laughs) to publish this book. This time around, it's followed by, at the same time, we take seriously our larger public responsibility as citizens, and we cannot support Senator Hawley after his role in what became a dangerous threat to our democracy and freedom. Mm. I am very happy to see that, um, I think the next step that I want to see is not just we take responsibility as citizens, but we take responsibility as a powerful platform mm. that decides whose voice is heard. You know, like, it's very possible that Simon and Schuster made this decision because of, I don't know. So it, they could have made this decision because of dissent within the ranks for the same reason that they decided not to publish um, Milo Yiannopoulos's book. Mm-hmm. Um, or and it was was it Simon and Schuster that was also going to carry the Woody Allen memoir? That was his shit. That was his shit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it, this could be we have responsibility as citizens. You certainly have a responsibility as a platform. It seems similar in kind to me to Facebook being like, oh right, yes, we do have responsibility here. We're not just a neutral space where anyone can say anything and we don't have to touch it or, or take any. Or take any responsibility for it. There are consequences to allowing that kind of thing to happen. And like, just interestingly, in the case of Facebook, I was reading a story where they said that they, their internal research shows that a really high percentage of people who joined like right wing extremist groups did it after being recommended to those groups by the platform. <laughs> so, Unbelievable. Like, Right? The algorithms that you create have consequences and you are responsible for those. And if you publish books by people who support taking down our government from the inside, you have a responsibility for what those. You're on the hook yeah. for what some of those consequences are. So... Um, part of me is like, I don't care why Simon and Schuster came to this conclusion. I'm just glad that they did. But I ultimately want to see more publishers getting to the place of like, this isn't just about us as a company that's made up of individual citizens. It's about what we are functionally doing by providing a platform to someone or not. But mm-hmm. really glad to see this. And I hope that it establishes precedent. I hope also hope that they are rewarded for it culturally and, and financially in a way that makes this a good business decision yeah. for them.
1: Yeah, the marketplace of ideas. People tend to forget the marketplace part of that, right? <laughs> the the, the mm-hmm. mar- there's a marketplace of ideas situation that goes on here, and it goes all the way from, you know, the dudes that would hang out in the co- on the corner downtown in the the town I grew up, handing out leaflets about legalizing hemp, which in 1991 right. seemed like a fever dream of a thing to happen. Yet here we are. But they could do it. They could hand out their little leaflets. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that did not mean that Simon and Schuster needed to give them a book contract right. uh, to do so. I do think that we've seen, we've seen that the amplification of messages has really been a stress test on what do we mean by free speech? Like, what do we actually mean by that? And I think that reckoning has a long time coming. Mm-hmm. And disinformation which is a euphemism for lying, I guess. Lying right. at scale is what we're really talking about. Purposefully lying at scale, knowing that you're lying at scale, presents problems we have not had to contend with when it comes to First mm-hmm. Amendment issues. And I thought um, I'd have been the first to be like, Jack Dorsey, what, you were doing, what are you doing? But in explaining Twitter's decision to pull um, Donald Trump's privileges, tweeting privileges, Hmm. I thought it was very thoughtful because he's like, Yeah, we don't really want to do this, but we kind of have to not that they want to support Trump. But like, we recognize that this is a dangerous precedent for a platform that's now powerful to say, this kind of speech is not allowed. If you are sort of evacuating it of the actual content, then it's really a question of getting into the content, like what what are the where are the lines that you can't cross? and be a part of the idea society. Like if you think of like Twitter and we talk these social media, but they're they're actually communities, right? There are these communities mm-hmm. online and we have rules that govern communities and we need rules that govern communities that are largely about speech, right? The, the, the interaction is yeah, speech. And we just haven't figured that out right yet, well, I don't think.
0: I think, you know, we had a pretty decent handle on it before 2016 that – like not a perfect one but that i think we had a shared cultural understanding that giving someone access to a platform or agreeing to publish their book legitimizes what's it, the contents mm-hmm. in some way you know um, well i don't know do you think ins-
1: so like 6 years ago twitter was like nazis were saying people you know like mm. now they don't well, do that now you can't do that the, now
0: i think this is the public's understanding that oh. if they're allowed to pub- if if someone yeah. is allowed to publish this book It must be legitimate. And then you add on what's happened in our political discourse in the last four years, where people spouting... Evident lies have been entertained Mm -hmm. and legitimized because Republicans have not wanted to upset their base. Like, okay, well, they're upset because they think the election was stolen. So let's conduct shenanigans to make them feel better. Like, let's, you know, object to validating these votes, Mm -hmm. even though there's no evidence. And that's the extreme thing at the end of four years of tiny drips of like, oh, well, he said this thing that wasn't true, or this book came out with facts that were not actually facts and nothing was done about it, or these lies were allowed to spread on Twitter, like Twitter and Facebook came to the game, but they arrived very late of actually, you know, fact checking political information that has a direct impact Mm -hmm. on voters and therefore like on what people believe is true and therefore has a direct impact on our democracy like it's it shouldn't be news making that Mitt Romney has to stand up and say we have to tell people the truth like we have to look at our voters and tell them the truth this shouldn't be it shouldn't have to be said at all but it's like earth-shattering yeah
1: (laughs) yeah it's 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 striking to me that you know at one point in the food industry we did not have the fda saying you know what by the way we need some we need some regulation around right. factories you know we need some regulation about working conditions we need some regulation on health and safety it comes at scale scale is the thing that introduces the need for regulation right because if twitter or facebook whoever is going to make billions of dollars letting people say stuff they need Guidelines for what health mm-hmm. looks like of, of the republic, of, of society, what is good for people. And the day now is past where you can say, mm-hmm. We're just a platform. You are responsible for the things people say on your platform. And you have yeah. to decide you know, whether if- or not you're in the business of letting people knowingly lie and knowingly damage um, the very underpinnings of the society that makes your platform possible writ large. How much do you want to be in that game, well, Simon right. and Schuster and or Facebook, wherever else it was going
0: yeah, to be? Yeah, if you're trying to, if you want to call yourself a space in which important conversations take place and where like cultural debate happens, then there does need to be some framework around what is actual cultural debate on all sides. The The thing that's going, like no one wants to suppress those kinds of discussions. We're trying to have all of the discussions from a place where people can return to having a shared set of facts Mm. and the publishing of books that are not true the allowing people allowing powerful people with large audiences to spout misinformation without any sort of consequence or regulation doesn't contribute to that
1: yeah and it, and again, these are not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy to do because essentially what you're suggesting, we, we're suggesting, what some are suggesting, mm-hmm. the role of major platforms is to do is decide what is m- true enough to be you know, in the forum, to be in the agora, mm-hmm. to be a subject of public debate, and what isn't. And that's not an easy position to be in. But guess what? you have millions of users, you have a lot of hard things to do. That is the cost of the the, the game you've entered into yeah, play. Yeah. You know,
0: if you want to make the Jack Dorsey money, you have to make those big That's boy right. decisions. That's right. That's and the cost. you have to be,
1: be able to pay the cost and decide whether or not your business is good for the, the body politic or society at large or how to make it good. And it's not a surprise that these new technologies have brought about a new set of ethical and, and civil questions. But what we've learned is that not answering them is no longer tenable. To throw up your hands and say, oh, yeah. you know, it's free speech. People can say what they want. That's no longer tenable. Just like ethically, it's not. The, the thing, like the, we've talked about before, Popper's paradox, the only thing you can't tolerate is intolerance. Well, maybe we should add the, the other thing you can't tolerate is willful misinformation, willful poisoning right. of the waters you know, about truth. Right.
0: This- it goes back years to the introduction of the phrase alternative facts. Right. Like we should have been having this conversation at that point. Like you have a you have freedom of speech, do you have a first amendment right? You don't have a right on a private platform to widely disseminate mm-hmm. alternative facts mm-hmm. and state them as true and then use them as justification for decisions that directly impact millions of American citizens. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and if your business is what people can is is people saying things, and that applies from publishing to Twitter. If your business is people saying things, your central problem is where is the line of what they can say on this thing? That's your, you ce- that your cent. You know, that is your central problem. That like, is your central problem.
0: not for nothing, we have to make these decisions at Book Riot. That's right. Book Riot is a platform, and we have to decide what's acceptable. To us Mm -hmm. what's a risk that we're willing to take what is a risk that we are not willing to take what kind of speech are we willing to support and put out into the world and there are plenty of people on other parts of the political spectrum who disagree with the ways that we run this company who disagree with the kinds of content that book riot puts out you know we for the for TBR for our tailored book recommendation service all of the boxes are like mandated by me mm-hmm. <laughs> to include books by marginalized voices and that's included in the product description and people sign up for the product and then get mad when we tell them like y- you cannot request to like never encounter a book by a gay person in your box that's not what this product mm-hmm. is this is my platform this is your platform we're allowed to make these decisions And there are consequences there. Like We we choose to lose some customers. We choose to lose some readers. And you have to be willing to do that. And I'm just glad to see Simon & Schuster is willing to give up whatever money they would have made on Josh Hawley's book. And Twitter is finally willing to lose whatever users they have lost or to lose whatever engagement metrics they have lost by deplatforming the president and removing QAnon accounts. It's not worth it. It is not worth it in the long run to let those kinds of things stand. The damage they do is not worth it.
1: yeah and we've i mean over time we've made a series of decisions toward the long arc of our decisions have been towards really only being accountable for the things people say for people who work for us right because we used to have comments Mm -hmm. on the site we had other forums where people could discuss and ultimately we decided we were not comfortable we did not feel like it was our business and is not something we wanted to do nor could we do it well to be in the business of deciding what people said on our platforms who we couldn't fire, essentially, right? I mean, right. we couldn't really have a discussion with them and decide that un- that was untenable for us, even at our scale. But again, that's not mm-hmm. our business. Our business is to pay people or you know, host things for people to talk about books. Twitter's business, Facebook's business, YouTube's business is to get anyone who's out there to say stuff so that more people will read it so they can sell advertising against it. If that is your business model, and it's been a long time coming, deciding where the line is, has been super important. And the line has been too low for too long. I think that's essentially Mm -hmm. the The line has been too low for too long. Um, And the people at the top of those organizations have not felt the pain enough. And now they do, I guess, I guess. Well,
0: I mean, if nothing else, they're probably very scared about the liability they might be found to have for having hosted the conversations in which this insurrection was planned.
1: I mean, there's, you could, I don't think it's too cynical to say these are the equivalent of deathbed confessionals, right? Only here mm-hmm. at the end, yeah. right, um, before it's too late. can Are we trying to do something? The next one's a tricky—well, I don't know if it's trickier. It's a different wrinkle. Um, so Powell's um, the bookstore, the great independent bookstore here in Portland, Oregon, has entered into a— Different kind of controversy. They're not a publisher of books, but they are a a stalker of books. S -S T O C K. They sell books. Um, And there's a conservative pundit named Andy Niao. I don't know, sure I say his last name N G O. I looked around for. I think it's Niao or Nio or maybe just No. um, Who? He's a conservative, and he's a book out called. Where is this book? I've lost the Unmasked
0: Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. There
1: it is. uh, Published by Hachette. (laughs) Coming February 21st. Not even out yet. And POWs has been the subject recipient um, target, depending on how you're looking at it, of protests saying, we don't want you to sell this book. Um, And Portland (laughs) has had its own year. You know, everyone's Mm -hmm. had their own year. Um, there is a very strong left-wing contingent here. There's even some on the left that does stuff that probably they shouldn't do. In fact, I know they shouldn't do when it comes to violence and vandalism. But others are saying, and, and some of those people are part of this, and some of them just this, we don't want pals to sell this book. We don't want, sal- we want, destroy democracy. It's hyperbole. I don't know what this book is. I don't know this person at all. Um, but he did some doxing of people at Port- Portland protests, um, so it's very personal here to Portland, but the the larger question is, are we is the line being moved the line of responsibility is coming down, it seems, or this is one of the first times we've seen the line coming down from whether a publisher should publish a book to should should the store stock the book? And this is something I think you and I have sort of talked around from time to time, right. What, the Trump books or the whatever coming out. What are bookstores doing about people want to buy something they maybe don't want to sell, but can yeah. they order it? And it's a whole mess, right? Because like, it's even further from we're publishing the book. It's can you even buy the book through us to, I guess, not. Or we have to decide on a case-by-case basis what we're going to allow people to buy through our portals. And so Emily Powell, who is the the CEO of Powell's, uh, there was a press release that came to my email last night saying, Hmm. we're not going to stock the book in the store, but you'll be able to buy it online. So there's not going to be physical copies, but if someone wants to get it, we're not going to prevent them from finding, you know, getting it online. We're not going to actively stock it. It just seems to me there's a fascinating array of choices. And where is the, where is the line of retreat? At what point you say, you know what, we're out of this book. What point do we say, if this is a book that's out there, the bookstore is just a conduit. I, I find this to be a really fascinating question uh, to me.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think this is actually like a new question for bookstores because it's, it is the same sort of thing that bookstores have been. Yeah. D- it's the same kind of decision that bookstores have been making about some of the Trump books, about some of the pro Trump, like propaganda books mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And then before that, it's the kinds of decisions that they were making when, when, Me Too was breaking in really big and consistent ways. And there were were news about authors. So like if you're a bookstore, do you take Juno Diaz off the Mm -hmm. shelves and off your website? Or do you just take him off the shelves? But if someone wants to order one, you'll order it. Like there are those sort of same shades of decision here. Like the Powell's statement about why they've, I think, well, I don't know. I think there's a couple of problems mm-hmm. here and the it's, it's a confusing message to say we won't carry it in the store, but we will sell it to you online. <laughs> like that is just confusing. If, I find it. To it be feels like a half measure,
1: right? I almost, yeah. it makes more sense yes. to say it's, we're going to keep a, you know, we want to serve people who are interested in, a, if you think about serving customers rather than supporting the book, maybe you can make that argument. But I think the time Maybe. is... Whoa, whoa. So what were but, bookstores doing, right? We don't want to stock this book. We're not going to keep it on our shelves, but someone comes in the store and I'd like to order from you the John Bolton book. I'm just using an example, right? Mm-hmm. I want to order that from you, but they said... Are, were they saying we're not going to order it from you? I don't know. What were, were, were people yeah. doing?
0: I don't know. Yeah. Um, booksellers, if you're willing to yeah. tell no. us, podcast at Booker. We'll keep you anonymous .com. if you ask. Yeah, yeah. The reasoning that Powell's gives here... You know, we we've we carry books that we find anywhere from simply distasteful or badly written to execrable, as well as those that we treasure. We believe it is the work of bookselling to do. Like, well, I would challenge that. Isn't that I Twitter saying
1: whatever? I mean, it's sort of the same exactly. thing, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I don't think that's actually the. Work of bookselling. selling, you can decide that's how you are doing book selling, but it's not necessarily the only or the or the best way. And then there's this I find to be very false equivalence, where the statement continues: Decades ago, we received credible bomb threats for selling the work of Salman Rushdie, and yet we carried on. We cannot behave any differently today when we feel differently about the book or the writer in question. Actually, yes, you yes, can. Yes, you can. If, you absolutely can. if the, can. Be- yes. Yes, <laughs> if the can. behavior of the if the behavior of the writer <laughs> and the contents of the book are meaningfully different. You can make different decisions, and the objections that people had to Salman Rushdie and the danger that was attached to Salman Rushdie is of a very different kind Mm. than the danger presented here, especially like especially in the environment as you mentioned that Portland has been experiencing this year with protests and people getting
1: swept into unmarked vans, uh, Rebecca. Right,
0: and very violent. Very violent acts committed yes. against liberal protesters. This is, I think, a this is a dangerous book mm-hmm. to support. I'm actually kind of surprised that we're not seeing pressure on Hachette to cancel it yeah. at this point. Probably like, the profile isn't
1: high enough. The profile in Portland is yeah, high enough, but nationally is right. probably not high enough.
0: Um, That if you're trying to serve your community and the thing that's happening in your community is people are piling up outside your doors with protest signs telling you that they don't want you to sell this book, you have to decide which customers you care about serving more. That's the fundamental question. Do you care about those people in your community that are saying this poses a a risk to us? Like this person is promoting ideas that are dangerous and that incite violence. Mm -hmm. Or do you care about not upsetting the people who are going to call this censorship.
1: Yeah. And and who is that exactly? Right? Because right, presumably like there's there's to, books that they don't carry. Yeah. Self-published say, or indie press or whatever. So Right. This this position is like by default we we can buy this online. I mean, sure, but is the just, software not sufficient enough for you to, like, kick an ISBN out of your ordering system? I don't know. I mean, if a technical I, it problem? It absolutely is. Yeah. You can
0: absolutely exclude an ISBN from your ordering right. system. Right. Um I think in any of these moments where publishers say this is just what we think the work of a publisher is, or this is just what we think the work of bookselling is, to put all of these things out there, that's a way to avoid having to make the hard choices. And the truth is, you have choices. You can choose to treat a Salman Rushdie book differently from a book by a guy who wants you to think that Antifa is out there and they're coming for you. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, maybe a more, I don't know if people would, I don't know if people would take this differently to say, you know what, this book is controversial, we do not believe the content of this book, but we think the discussion and getting it out there so people can talk about it and say that is part of what a bookstore does, right? To be, th- We're not determining the marketplace of ideas. We are the marketplace, and things can get sold, right? Things can be excluded. Mm-hmm. You could say that. I'm not sure I would try that. But this, you can buy it, but we're not going to stock it. It feels like you're pleasing nobody um, yeah. and really not taking much of a... Is this a, it feels like less principled than they think it is to say we well, can buy it online, but you can't buy it in the store. I'm not sure that helps yeah, anybody at I th- all.
0: I think that what we've seen in this last week is that the idea that you're taking a principled stand when you sell or publish anything is like just by doing it. Yes. We're living into our principles is no longer the standard.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I can appreciate the situation because it does open up a can of worms which is already open, we just didn't think about it, of having, you're, you're tacitly making the claim that we will be every single, and again, Powell's is millions of, I don't even know how many titles are in there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're helping, maybe what you should say is like, we want the community to help us decide what's our community of book buying looks like. We can't do it all ourselves. It's unreasonable even for someone like Powell's to say, right. we're behind every single book on the shelves. But they can be open to, you know what, if this is not something we want in our community of ideas, let's get rid of it.
0: Yeah. Well, no, like, not to cast far too far forward, but I don't think it's unreasonable to think that some of these guys that have been arrested in the last week for participating in or leading mm-hmm. the insurrection are going to try to get book deals. Oh, And yeah. some of them will probably be successful. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do with that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah. And and I'm sympathetic to the scale of the problem um, because books have. We don't think of tweets like we think about books. Like, there's no like romance of tweets. Mm, mm -hmm. But they're functionally the same thing. A tweet is a book when we talk about these kinds of issues. It's all speech. It's it's all speech, right? It's all speech. And how much are you going to put your skin in the game about which ideas, about which kinds of speech? you wouldn't require Powell's to pin up tweets by Nazis on their door, right? Does, does, does Powell's feel required to do that? They don't. So right, I was how is say, it that with, different ultimately?
0: Right. If this were a book by a Holocaust denier. Yeah. And people were protesting it, would the response would yeah. Powells have a different response? That would, would be a good question. If not this
1: what? If not right. this what is outside the pale of what you want to put your, you know, imperture on, even if it's the very, very lightest embossing of that imperture of all time, but still mm-hmm. saying it's something that we will be a conduit to sail from. Um, presumably, if you order it through Powell's, they will still take their $12 margin. Yeah. It's naughty times, Rebecca Shinsky. naughty times. Let's it take a sponsor
0: break. It is very tangly.
1: <sighs> and we'll come back. Okay. Um, news. Do you care about MTV books coming back? I do not.
0: (laughs) I do from a nostalgia perspective. Like, I, you know, remember being deeply attached to my paperback of The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And I think it's interesting that such a small imprint that was such a product of a very particular, like, moment in pop Mm -hmm. culture (laughs) um, had a book like that that became such... A touchstone like such a touchstone I don't know what MTV books is gonna look like now because I don't know that there's really like a culture around MTV I was gonna say
1: I was a little surprised that MTV was. still existed I don't even I mean I, yeah. I guess I would have soon but this feels to me like, like let's get two old and musty things together and make it new because like, <laughs> books I mean we love books you know we do but you're not like oh yeah if we just get MTV and books together we got we got a hot ticket here
0: yeah I I don't have any idea like what to expect from this because yeah. <laughs> I just don't, I, I don't know what MTV is anymore, what it stands for. Do the kids care about MTV or like is MTV books getting rebooted and they're targeting us? Like, is this now for old millennials and generation X people who remember MTV having been about something mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm going to be, I guess, curious, passively curious about what the list looks like when they get going. It says but.
1: virtually nothing about what's going to be. So Christian Trimmer is going to be the head of this. It's going to be under, it's going to be Russian nesting dolled over at Simon and Schuster, some sort of joint venture. I'm not sure how these things work. They work in a whole variety of ways. He was the editorial director at Macmillan's Henry Holt Books for Young Readers. And prior to that, executive editor at Simon and Schuster. So it sounds like a passion project of some kind, but is it going to be young adult? Is it going to be teens, college, new adult? fiction, nonfiction, Um, Kelly Jensen, who we work with, reminded us, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, I don't, I didn't know this, but brought up that Uh MTV Books' signal contribution to the worlds of books and reading was being the publisher of Perks of Being a Wallflower back in the day, Um, and The Rose That Grew from Concrete um, back in the day, that's (laughs) Tupac Shakur's memoir, Uh, Mm -hmm. or I guess that's, was poetry? I can't remember now at this point.
0: Yeah, I think that was poetry.
1: Poetry, I think. Um, but what is not getting published that MTV Books can publish? Or who will buy a book that could get published otherwise that's best suited for MTV Books? I am not very, very sure. What a world in which, uh, again, if we were doing annotated, we have a bucket for annotated ideas. Uh, rest in peace. MTV Books publication of Perks of Being Wallflower would be a good 15-minute annotate. Like, how did that happen? What was going on? Like, how, very, very fascinating to see. What was going on at the same time? I don't know. Maybe.
0: Is it just going to be a bunch of like Jersey Shore memoirs?
1: <laughs> I don't. The challenge to, 10, oh, ten yeah. steps to surviving the challenge. Uh, lessons Maybe. from the road rules. I don't know. I, none of those seems, from,
0: Are those even still things anymore? Yeah. This is how disconnected we are. So,
1: my, my follow up question to you is what media entity that doesn't have a publishing imprint? should
0: oh any ideas that's an interesting question what media entity
1: again i'm not talking about licensed stuff where you get the uh-huh. marvel kids book thing i'm talking about their their sourcing and producing and putting their stamp on new stuff
0: huh i don't know
1: i don't know either i didn't have a i was hoping you have a better idea. nothing
0: answer. is nothing is bubbling up like i'm sort of rifling through other tv things but you know like the all the folks on hgtv have books yeah i don't think hgtv has an imprint but like they easily could um
1: my default answer for all these sorts of things we can test out here to see if there's anything to it when in doubt guess apple so okay so if uh, apple had an imprint because they're making tv shows and movies right they they mm -hmm. do phones and they have itunes and podcasts and they have a bookstore. If there was an Apple imprint, is that interesting at all? I don't know. They certainly have the have they any... have the distribution channels if they wanted to get into digital books yeah. or audio I mean, or it, something like that.
0: It feels to me kind of similar to like Amazon having Kindle yeah. originals or Audible originals. Like it makes sense that they would want to do it. I understand why if you were Apple, you would want to maybe be have your own in like mm-hmm. your own book publishing platform for your own original titles, but I don't... What would it do that's different from what other things do? Like, what would be the unifying feature of an Apple imprint book? I don't have any idea.
1: It's kind of like, what's the unifying feature of, like, Apple TV and movies? Like, nothing, really. I guess it's high quality, like, they spend a lot of money on it? I'm not sure. Right, but
0: there's no thematic no through line no
1: there it then. seems to me that the disruption of niche publishing is from below in the form of like influencers getting book deals which they're doing mm. all the time now right um, yeah. but there's a huge gap between an influencer getting a book deal and then like a tv station or a brand or something else getting yeah
0: I could see like, Something like that. in the back in the heyday of like the travel channel when Bourdain, you know, at the yeah. height of Bourdain stuff, I could have seen a travel channel imprint. Mm-hmm. I think they probably could have gone some interesting places with that, but I don't think that's the thing anymore.
1: If I had an hour's worth of inside dope from the history of, of our modern history of books and reading why mm-hmm. oprah never did her own imprint i'm she must have been pitched at it in the 90s They must. she have did
0: she has an imprint at Flatiron. i know
1: she does now but that was back in the heyday i mean when they really were cooking right oh yeah i wonder why because the flat one i don't think it does that matter does anyone's like oh it's the new oprah no. the like the 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 seal means more than the imprint which is weird
0: I, maybe we were just not in the land of celebrity imprints yet
1: yeah Someone, like, what was the first celebrity imprint? That's a good question. Do you know? Podcast at bookriot.com, if you know. Uh, because, pub- like, editors got their own imprints. That's why I have the Knops of the Worlds and, like, right. all that stuff. But, like, the 1st What was the first yeah. one that was, like, not a book person to get an im or not an editor, or, like, working in publishing to get an imprint? We had the Sarah Jessica Parkers. We had mm-hmm. the Bourdains. Um... I don't know. I'd be really fascinated to know. And we've asked this question before. Which of them were great successes? Don't know. Don't have a good answer to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are we? I'm I'm off looking at links. What's next on the agenda, (laughs) Rebecca? Where do you want to go next? We only have a couple more things.
0: It looks like you want to brainstorm some things about our next Adaptation Nation episode. Well,
1: you have on here the Bridgerton books are getting that Netflix bump, no shock. So did The Queen's Gambit, right? Also got that mm-hmm. Netflix bump, that streaming bump. And it got me thinking, we're due for another kind of roundup of adaptations. Not a full Book Nerd Movie Club treatment, because this is new stuff that we're kind of evaluating on its own. The Queen's Gambit we have in here, News of the World, which just came out. It's coming out tomorrow on demand and in theaters, which is the Tom Hanks Joint based on the Paulette Giles book, which I thought was really good. The Good Lord mm. Bird, which you liked, which I haven't seen, um, but yeah, I've read the I've book. Watched,
0: I've watched half of it. It's There are some hard-to-watch moments. Oh,
1: great. Perfect.
0: <laughs> that um, make me hesitant to do a wide recommendation for yeah. it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, The Bridgerton thing, Firefly Lane by Kristen Hanna you put on here. Shadow and Bone is coming out in April, which I'm very excited. I've always wanted to read that series. Me too. But it became one of those, it's now number 50 on my Netflix queue, which means I'm never going to get to it. Um, Same but i would like to have an excuse to do that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we have people give us their feedback? You're not going to vote. You're not going to we'd like to hear what you have to say. But Rebecca, which of these are most interesting to you what we have here? Which of the easier are you feel game to to talk about and watch for the first
0: I'm, time? Well, especially if we're just like watching one episode of each and talking mm-hmm. about it. Um, I'm game for Bridgerton. I've read it's been a while, but I've read several of those novels and I'm curious about what a Shonda Rhimes more diverse take on uh-huh. it looks like. I've also been studiously avoiding coverage of it yes. because if i watch it i want to be surprised so i'm unspoiled about what happens in bridgerton um you know it can't resist the tom hanks and i feel like my soul might like that right now <laughs> so i'm, I'm yeah. and i have not read news of the world so i'm open to that i also haven't gotten to the queen's gambit yet oh that's interesting um, i've also never read a Kristen hannah novel and she's so consistently one of the bestsellers of the year on Her new book,
1: I've probably, i probably—I don't know if we talked about this earlier. 1.5 million print. Yeah,
0: for so the new book, I think from from that angle, I'm really curious about what's the appeal. So Firefly Lane is—I would—I think I would go read Firefly Lane before I watch the adaptation. There, yeah. I'm curious about that. Actually, I'm kind of open to all of these. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've never read Shadow and Bone, but it's also just sort of been on my forever someday maybe list. So. That was unhelpful, but the answer is most yeah, of
1: Yeah, so I'll just tell you what. I've seen The Queen's Gambit. I've been meaning to read the book, actually, because it's um, an interesting book, apparently. And that, the Walter Trevis, I believe is the guy's name, who wrote that book, also mm-hmm. wrote The Hustler, like one of the great adapta- a- adapted novelists oh, that no one knows. I didn't know um, that. I'm interested in Shadow and Bone, of course. Um, I think some combination of... News of the World, Good Lord Bird, and then things that are out or rather, pick between Bridgerton and Queen. Does anyone care mm. what we think? I mean, is it interesting? <laughs> are these, well, do they care what we think is a bigger question, but of the people who care about what we think at all, writ large, is, is Queen's Gambit over? Is Bridgerton too big? Mm. Like, do we have any value add to those discussions? Yeah, I don't that's know. that's interesting. I don't know.
0: I'm I am curious about input on that, and I will say I thought the first episode of Good Lord Bird was phenomenal and captures the tone of the book mm-hmm. really well. So I'm down for that. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure there's things that we're missing there as well. Emails podcast dot com. Which are you, Which of these discussions would you? An episode where we do three or four of these, packed up into one. Which are the ones you'd be most interested to hear, or, or have a have a venue to listen to people talk about something? Uh, shoot us an email. A podcast at bookriot.com. I think we're done.
0: I think so, too. Yeah,
1: done for the day? I think we are. some
0: heavy lifting here.
1: Yeah, I mean, by this time next week... Hold tight. Hold tight. To whatever is around. (laughs) Um, I should say what we're going to be recording... So the next one they're going to hear. Yeah. The next thing you're going to hear from us is our spring preview show.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's talk. About, oh, actually, I think we have one more sponsor. We should, we're should. we going to talk about our spring preview show here in just a minute. Let's do our last sponsor break, and we'll talk about the ground rules for that. So we're going to do for our spring preview show, a little bit different. We're going to mix it up. You know we like to mix things up is I've compiled a list of 36 interesting candidates to talk about on the spring preview show. And I should say the spring preview, we're we're dividing spring as ending on May 31st of this year. And that's when summer begins. So we'll have a a summer preview coming up later. And we're going to do a draft. And our goal is for each, we're not going to know what the other ones pick. So it's going to be live to tape this draft. And we're going to each get 10 selections but we have not talked about and fleshed out in broad strokes what is the how will we what are we drafting for Rebecca I've got a couple of ideas I think we talked about before do you want me to pitch my ideas, or do you have a sense of what you want to do first? How should we? How oh, should we I want to from?
0: hear your ideas. Let's let's uh, let's do that. Well,
1: we we thought about it like is it like a fantasy draft kind of a situation yeah. where you try to win. The problem with that is how do you keep score after the
0: fact? <laughs> oh, do you mean because none of the records of which books sell and how much how many books they sell are complete? Yeah, that's accessible? the truth.
1: Or then we'd have to like <laughs> into it from the non-unit measures of the New York Times or book scans or award or whatever, or adaptation, we don't know. We had monkeyed around with a, a fantasy book league kind of thing before, but it's just the, the lead times are so long. You're not going to go if there's an adaptation until like four years yeah. later. So that was very difficult. So that one's hard. We could do we could do book sales, right? Do they make it onto the books? You want books that make it onto the bestseller list. That's I think mm-hmm. that's less interesting. My proposal is this. What we're drafting is a slate of books that would then become someone's spring reading curriculum, right?
0: I like it. So Mm -hmm. we're
1: trying to pick the best, most interesting, most provocative, most diverse slate of 10 books that someone who likes books but doesn't follow this junk like we do, Would then gets to like, these are the books I'm reading this spring and we want them to have the best experience they can have. And then what we'll do is we'll open it up to voting from our listeners, the email. So you can vote for my slate or we can vote for Rebecca's slates as, as representing the best reading curriculum for someone's spring. Do you, any wrinkles, any thoughts, feedback on that right now, Rebecca?
0: I like that. I was also thinking we could do a follow-up episode in june Ah. where we look back or like midsummer i guess if we have some may picks where we look back at our respective picks and maybe analyze together which ones did well and which ones didn't and if anybody quote-unquote won but i like i like i like this um how would you build a well-rounded slate of 10 books to read
1: for spring? like we're building a gift box of books for you to read this spring here it would, would here's what we would pick um I guess we could also do the, the after we could do the after action report later too like of our picks yeah. which one broke out. I should say have you read any of these books on our list? We're not going to tip our hands. Oh. Have you read any of these ahead of time because I will have not I don't think. So I'm Let picking pretty blind at this point which is part list. of the fun.
0: Yeah. I have read one. Okay. Oh wait, there's a well I've read The Great Gatsby, but that's on oh. the list because there's a new Yeah, we'll take that off. off we'll take that okay, off. Yeah, we can take that off. I have read one of these.
1: I think that's I probably not uh, enough to uh, have too much insider information.
0: <laughs> probably not. I know if I... I don't know yet. I have to do my homework on all the rest of them. But I i can imagine where I would slot this in my 10-book lineup mm-hmm. if I chose it. But I'm not sure if it's going to make the cut yet.
1: Also, to get super nerdy, are we doing a snake draft where it goes one, two, three? You see what I'm getting at here? Where the number one pick gets the first pick and the second person gets picks two and three? Probably not. Oh!
0: Have you ever heard of that? I didn't even... No.
1: Yeah. It's I don't I think it's probably the the so this is what people do in some fantasy drafts where the people at mm-hmm. the 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 player at the very top are way more valuable like the number 1 pick maybe 6 times as valuable as the number 2 pick, right?
0: Uh, I don't yeah. think we have I,
1: I don't have an obvious number one yeah, pick no. here, so I don't think we need to do a snake draft. I, we can I just do thinking, back and forth.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the technical term for it is, but I do know there's a model of fantasy draft where like you get your pot of imaginary money. The auction and version, can,
1: yes, the auction yes. version. Yes. So
0: I think we could have done an auction draft, and that would have been interesting. But I think we'll just take turns. Yeah. Picking ten.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And being mad at each other for most of it, probably. <laughs>
1: I think the other funny game would be to guess what the other person will pick. There's a little gamesmanship (laughs) here.
0: Let's do that. Okay, so we should each also make our list. Like, we'll make our private list, Uh and then we'll each guess about what tin the other person is going to choose, and we can reveal those at the end. Right.
1: Uh, (laughs) Let's see. I'm trying to... I'm not sure. Okay, because I'm not picking for you now. We're picking for... We're picking for a generic book person, like
0: the, yeah. Hmm. Like if we were, if we had to box these up and put them in the front window of your local bookstore as hmm. a, grab bo- a grab box, remind, and-
1: a grab box. It reminds me, there's like that old, what was it? Those picnic auctions where someone would put together a picnic basket and mm-hmm. you'd you'd yeah. you'd, uh, you'd bid on the picnic basket. So you're going to be bidding on mm. our book baskets with your minds. <laughs>
0: It's been a long week and that struck me as really funny. Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> how else are you picking a basket with your pancreas? With your minds. Yeah. It
0: was like, you know, just point your brain in our direction and we'll know what you're thinking. <laughs> really, it, really, yeah.
1: a, a, a box of books is a picnic basket for the mind if you think about it.
0: <laughs> picnic basket for the mind is definitely the show title.
1: Here at the end, we came with a show title. And on that note... Can find show notes, bookriot.com's last listen. Shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com, especially for booksellers who have books that they've been weird about, you know, about selling or maybe hard nosed. Are people out there telling people no if they come into a bookstore to pre-order or something? I'm imagining some people are, and what they are, and what the politics of that and the realities of that would be look like. I know it's a difficult decision too. Yeah. Um, also, we'd like feedback about our adaptation nation picks. Probably there's something we've forgotten because since everything's an adaptation now, uh, I was texting with my friend Kamali today. He's like, "Did you ever watch the adaptation of Motherless Brooklyn?" I'm like, "Jeez, I forgot that existed." <laughs> Um, so, and I was vaguely oh, yeah. I interested heard, in that as well.
0: I heard uh, Edward Norton on the Armchair Expert podcast talking about that, and I had the same moment of like, oh, I intended to watch that at some yeah. point.
1: Not a um, great, I'm guessing it didn't perform well. If you and I, yeah. who have read Motherless Book, right. and also like Ed Norton, I think we've talked about this before as a, as a, oh, as a presence online, we still like, yeah. oh, yeah, tough beat. <laughs> but yeah. it Brooklyn Adaptation.
0: Yeah, that was that was a rough one. Yeah, let us know. Oh, Dune, but I'm not watching it's Dune. It's not out
1: yet. It's not out for a billion years. Season oh, two I of Dickinson was... just came out. Did you I'm see gonna that? I'm
0: going to be watching that, yeah. Please
1: don't vote for that, people, for me.
0: <laughs> well, we've already talked about it that's on right. here, so we don't need to bring Dickinson into mm-hmm. this, even though you're wrong about it.
1: The Devil All the Time came out, which was apparently bad. Um, that was a oh, Netflix a version bummer. of that, though that... Anyway, we could do this all day because everything's adapted. Uh, Talk to you later, Rebecca. Everyone hang tough.
0: Have a good one.